Howdy, welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. This week, I had the absolute pleasure of talking with Dr. Jason Greaser of New St. Andrews College. He is the literature professor over there, and I wanted to talk to him about how literature functions in relation to everything happening at New St. Andrews College. How does it contribute to the kind of student that New St. Andrews wants to graduate? In light of that conversation, I wanted to recommend to you Excused Absence, a brand new audiobook on Canon Plus by Douglas Wilson, Should Christian Kids Leave Public Schools? You can find that at mycanonplus.com. Sign up for a subscription today. There are hours and hours of excellent, edifying content ready to be listened to. And without further ado, meet Dr. Jason Greaser. All right, now welcoming on Dr. Jason Greaser. He teaches literature and Middle English at New St. Andrews College in Moscow, Idaho. He's the author of Hamlet, a worldview guide at Canon Press here, and recently recorded a three-part video on Milton's Paradise Lost. You can find that on YouTube. It's called Milton Satan, I believe, just on the New St. Andrews YouTube page. That's right. right. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Dr. Greaser, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me on. I, uh, I have benefited from your classes personally. I had you in grad school, and I wanted the opportunity to bring you on, and we could talk about... The main thing I wanted to ask was just how you see literature functioning at New St. Andrews College. New St. Andrews mm-hmm. has like a very particular vision, and being a part of it and being in your classes, I wanted to hear kind of you talk about how you see that. But first, you want to just introduce yourself? Where'd you come from? How'd you get here? Yeah, yeah I came here from Southern California back in 1998. Okay. Um, did my undergrad here at New St. Andrews. Okay. Back in the early days. Yeah. When it was a tiny, it's still, you know, <laughs> still small, but it was tiny. Yeah. Uh, and went off to- Who taught your lit, co- lit courses? Uh, Peter Lightheart. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. And then I went off to University of Dallas for okay. grad school. Okay. And then came back here. Um, but the, uh, you asked me about the lit program there. I think it's in part, at least based on what I learned at University of Dallas. Okay. So Dr. Cowan. Okay. You know, great, one of the pioneers of the great books movement. Yeah. And she had this thing and she taught us this thing called the genre wheel. Okay. You start at the top of a circle and you have uh, a, a lyric poetry and then you descend into tragedy and okay. the bottom is comedy and you're coming back up with epic. Okay. Okay. And she called it the, the world of the imagination. It's, it's somehow, you know, part of our, the way we see the world Yep. in these different genres and how they relate. So lyric, starting with lyric, I so I have four electives in a sequence, Okay. which makes up, it, it's for upper So that makes up the wheel. It makes up the wheel. That makes okay. up our literature sequence. So lyric. Nice. Let me go to tragedy. I can tell you a little bit about each of those classes. Yeah. But lyric is, it basically has this image of garden and innocence and kind of, oh, it's always thinking about something lost. You're like right outside the garden, but imagining going back yeah. in. If you think about lyric poetry, there's lots of garden poems and garden yeah. imagery. Who do you have in mind? Like who are some poets or lyricists yeah, you have Yeah, we, we start with the sonnets of Shakespeare. Okay, okay yeah. there it is. Yep. Uh, the lover is sort of trying to be protected from the ravages of time and, and time. death and, you know, beauty. Yep. Dark Beauties. lady. Is that, those yeah, are the dark that's lady. right. Yeah. You yeah. have the, the fair youth and the dark lady. Yeah. There's the fair youth who's the, the beautiful, yeah. the, the, like the epitome of beauty and, yep. and the poet's trying to save him through poetry, which is interesting. Yeah. First he says, get married. And I know, well, I was going to say, it, yeah. yeah, it seemed like <clears throat> I remember in the early sonnets, you know, he was basically just saying like, is your, f- your youth, your beauty going to die with you? Right. 
<clears throat> and then I remember producing the, an offspring for the sake of the world. That's right. Yeah. And then I think he, I remember it's a strange story. It is. Yeah. I remember him comparing a family to like chords, different chords and a harmony and other things it's, like that. It's anyway. got a little bit of everything. Yeah. But very, very. Then we jump into some uh, me- metaphysical poetry, John Donne, okay. George Herbert. Then we do some romantic poetry like Blake, Wordsworth, Keats, Coleridge. Then finally we get to kind of modern Yeats and Frost and, yep. and Elliot. Awesome. But, um, but that's, so that's kind of what we do in lyric and it's a, it's a great introduction to, I know you do this in, in, in your classes, but close readings of poems. Yep. It's a great way to learn how to read poetry. Yep. And then we jump into, um, tragedy, which okay. is, you know, the, the abyss, <laughs> um, you're into the, the world of, of fall and suffering and. Yeah. So uh, with that, can't really you... find the garden anymore. Yeah. <laughs> is that like mainly Greeks? Or is it like you run up through renaissance or where is yeah that? we start with with okay. ancient greek playwrights sophocles i think we actually i start with uh aeschylus the you know the first extant full trilogy the only one really right the only extant trilogy that we have of you know from ancient greece the uh oristia yeah do that first then we do some oedipus and work our way to antigone and and uh that that uh i guess we do the entire Ep- uh, oedipus cycle so okay so those two it's not a actually technically a trilogy but because sophocles wrote those at different times in his life he didn't write them as one but they go together very nicely so those two trilogies and then jump into shakespeare's four greats yep hamlet Macbeth, othello and king lear so you can see how ancient tragedy totally you know and what they thought about what tragedy is and then go into a christian context and right. renaissance context and see how shakespeare's deepening that and yep uh, it seems too like you like that's a is it is that the order Hamlet Macbeth? Uh, actually, I do Macbeth, Hamlet, okay. Fellow, King Lear. Nice. Fellow drops in and out. I, yeah. I didn't do that last round. Put it back in. I look okay. at my my course evals. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm always kind of tinkering, trying to sure. make the classes better. But those four have most of the time I've had those four in there, and I'm going to go back to that next year. Okay. And then uh, comedy. That's the most recent one. I've I just completed that. Okay, so the comedy. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, and that's. Comedy for you was Dante's Divine Comedy, mm-hmm. and then Dostoevsky's Bros. K. Yes, Brothers Karamazov. Okay, nice. That's right, and those you might say, how is that a comedy? Which <laughs> is a question I get. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and and some some put it under tragedy. Yeah, but I think it's a Christian comedy. Okay, where it, like the world, there's a lot of yeah, darkness in sure. it, but it's going. God's taking it to a comic place. And if you read the last line, you know it's Hurrah Karamazov. Yeah. Like that, that name has been redeemed and yep. it's a joyful book in the end. And it's, yeah. It's, even considering that last page, right. It was, uh, is, is it true? Is the resurrection true? I think it was yeah. what's being evaluated. Yeah, that's right. And then let's head back and have waffles, I believe is. Yeah, you got 12 boys in 12 boys, yeah, leading them. Right. It's like the new, new they're beginning. At a, they're at a graveyard. If I remember right. Yeah. Is that right? They're dealing with death. Yep. And talking <clears> about the resurrection and it's very joyful. And waffles. Yeah. yeah, eating pancakes or waffles, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, nice. So, and that's the final part, comedy, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, or is that three? Three of the four? Yeah. The, four? Oh, sorry. No, the fourth, the last one's epic. And okay. that's what just started that one this week. Nice. And it's either Iliad or Odyssey and okay. Paradise Lost. How so. do you pick in terms of Iliad Odyssey? That's hard. Yeah. Um, I just think, how you're feeling? Like, oh, I haven't done this one well, in a while or- this time Providence okay. <laughs> decided for me because yeah. it, the, the class was advertised and I didn't notice the advertisement okay. went out as Odyssey. So I okay. just left it with that. But they, uh, it's really, I wish we really need to do both, but we, we don't have time to do both. And right. These are pretty short classes. 
Seven, yeah. We do, we do quarters, so seven, yep. seven weeks plus a week of exams. So rather than like a semester where it's right. essentially two quarters. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you like that? I, I guess do you, like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, you've there, taught that way for most of your teaching career. Yeah, so I yeah. imagine you've gotten used to it. I mean, you can always imagine, well, if we had more time, we could do. Sure. But, but there's a, I think there's a, a lag can kind of come into a, yep. a semester where you get towards the middle and you do midterms and. Uh, this doesn't have that. It's it's just pretty much yep. pedal to the metal the whole way, and yep. there's, there's not a slowing down. So I like the energy of it. Yeah, and, and the it goes quickly, and and then we're doing orals, and the students are putting it all together, and then we're moving on to the next one, and we try to try to build on each course as we go. It does seem very fast paced. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, okay, so I actually didn't know the structure of that, though, so that's fascinating. That's fairly new. We've been doing okay. that for about five years. Okay. Okay. Well, so at least as long as I've been here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So in terms of that wheel or, and, and your four part sort of journey you take students through, mm -hmm. how do you see that fitting into all of what they're doing at New St. Andrews? Yeah. What do you find yourself as like yeah. mission operative? Like right. this is what you need. I think my, my role is to show them why literature, what literature offers. Um, most people, most NSA students are interested in sure. both literature and writing. That's yeah. a pretty easy sell. Um, but a lot of them come in, they've read some of these things in high school. Maybe they had to read it when they're really young and they don't, they don't really get excited about it. Yeah. And they're definitely not thinking about the genre part or, sure. or what makes literature unique. Yeah. Um, so um, one of my favorite lines about that is C.S. Lewis when he said, uh, literature is, a, is an extension of your being. Yeah. When you, you take your you know, your world and then you, you add all these other yep. worlds onto it and yep. it expands. He says, try to, he says, you see this when you talk to someone who doesn't read literature and he said, they live in a tiny world. So this, this internal yes. yep. expansion of who you are by, you know, these characters that you meet and the, the experience you gain from, from reading yes. about it. And, and the nice thing about literature is it's a distance tragedy. You know, you wouldn't want to look at those sorts of things in real life sure. or you wouldn't want to experience those, yep. um, but you get the distance, it's safe. You know, yeah. it's, it's pleasurable right. to look at Aristotle says to look at even terrible things you wouldn't want to look at for real. You go to a museum and look totally. at a painting of it. Totally. Literature's like tragedies like that. Literature's like that. I also think there's a certain magic to literature in that you you get at the universal through the particular. Okay. It's like we just mentioned Dante. Yeah. Yep. You know, he starts out talking about himself. Right. Uh, yeah, I I was uh lost in a dark wood. I'd lost my way in the middle of in the middle of our life. Right. I did this. So our life, he's talking about all of us. Yeah. But his individual story becomes a universal. Totally. And then well, he had to Italy to save too, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he saves Italy yeah, to right. save the world. That's right. Dostoevsky saves Russia to save the world. He would um, be thrilled to hear it. Yeah. And we're all, and, yeah. and so we're all on that journey. Yeah. And we're all Karamazov and we need yeah. to be redeemed. And yeah. you, so as you push deeper into it, you realize this is about me. Flannery said this, Flannery O'Connor, I think, yeah. every one of my misfit characters, she's, that's part of me. Yep. Well, I try to get students to read, like if you're reading Dante, you can, you can read the Inferno and just read it kind of abstractly and like, this has nothing to do with me. Like, no, no, this is us. This yeah. is all these sins that we're seeing here. We need right. to learn something about our own soul. We're going down into the soul deep, uh, all the way to the bottom of hell. You right. Know, and that, that's in us. And that's something that we, uh, I want them to apply that to them. You can read, Dante says, you can read my poem at all different levels, but one is like, Right now, this is when you sin, you're isolating yourself. You're, you know, he shows all these grotesque distortions. Like yeah. What sin does to you. 
And I don't think we should read that in a kind of abstract way, but we should say those are all part of me. Totally. And Dante, you know, he wants to go to God at the beginning. He starts trying to climb the mountain and he's blocked by these beasts, you know, his own sin. And then he's told, right. you got to go down before you can go up. Right. So I think literature and students, I see them and they tell me this, that like that really, you know, probed deeply into me. Totally. Um, and so getting at that, the universal truths and surprisingly, I think one of the most shocking things Aristotle said, he always gets the as the uh, reputation for being boring. But one of the things he said sure. that wasn't boring yeah. was he said, literature is more philosophical than both history and philosophy. Yeah. And, and like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And I, I think, he, you know, he's, he's saying, it's not, it's not about like, I think Plato kind of attacked him for, it's just a bunch of particulars, but he said, no, we're actually going at universal things. Right. Beauty or love or yep. justice. These universals through particular stories. Yep. So That's those are the abstractions and then the plays, the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, to quote Hamlet there. Yeah. And and so it's actually, uh, like Chaucer says, it, a good story should both teach and delight. Yep. The magic of literature does both of those. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you meant you brought up Chaucer. So I had uh, I had a very cool opportunity a year or so ago to have Billy Collins on. No way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. But he talked about maybe, we were kind of getting into, um, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast really selling poetry. Is he a good poet? <laughs> I heard recently you shut down a Billy Collins poem at a, uh, at a, uh, don't tell him <laughs> since you're friends with him. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, we had, um, Kristen Wyman out yeah. 10 years ago and he said, that's not poetry. He, Wyman said it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, it does seem totally contra Wyman's project of like deep scarred, <laughs> yeah. you know. Right. And it, you know, I, I had some dinosaur teachers at University yeah. of Dallas who'd say the same thing. Like. That's prose, man. That's yeah. That's hardly poetry. You know, I reading him. I either am it's too prose like very. I very much enjoy it, or I am very frustrated. Yeah. So I mean, it's hard to. I mean, he's popularizing something that nobody's reading anymore. So I, I love that part. Right. Of it. Totally. But he he mentioned ways in which he was like a, you know to start, and he's talking about high school students or even just the idea of poetry. If you started someone with Chaucer, it's a very hard sell yeah. from there. So Collins is a gateway drug to get to. So yeah, he's like, you know, I, <laughs> I, very funnily, he was like, I would give somebody Billy Collins, you know, to start. But anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I think that's all, the only shine Chaucer has gotten from this podcast was via that conversation. So I think he's owed maybe a little bit better. Do you, do you mind telling mm -hmm. us a little bit about your Chaucer yeah. class? Uh, one more thing about Billy Collins. He has that poem about, um, I think it's about introducing a class to a, a poem and yes. they want to beat it, tie it to a chair and beat it with a yes. hose. So it's one of my favorites. He, he, he prefers image. that they jet ski across the- That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I posted <laughs> that one recently. It's very, very, I very much enjoy him at times. Yeah. And, and those times. kind of images. I mean, I have, yeah. I have defended free verse yeah. at times, okay. you know, and, and I think there's a, there's a real value to writing free verse, yeah. free verse and yep. getting good at words and line breaks and why those things matter and yep. no spare parts and all that stuff. Right. So I think there's a value to that. Um, Wilbur said it was the hardest there it is going to and do usually well. the worst yeah. poets are attempting it. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, that's good. Or, but in the Chaucer class, I do have them translate. So reading Chaucer and, and they learn how to read it in the original middle well, English so that okay. you get the original sounds. Yep. Um, and then how can you at least attempt to put that into contemporary language and try to preserve as much as you can. But then yep. you see what you're losing too. I think it's a Got good it. exercise. So nice. have them translate lines into contemporary English, try to use some of as much of the original as you can, but also make it something that someone yep. today that doesn't know middle English would want to read. Yep. And then we read 
we read a lot of the Canterbury Tales. And one of the things I got excited about this year was read through it several times. I always skipped the Parsons tale. Okay. Chaucer ends with this long, like 45 page prose poem. Okay. So he's, he's in poetry almost the whole way. There's one yeah. other one that's in prose, but all these different tales. We know him for being bawdy at times yeah. and kind of there's th- things in there we wouldn't want to assign. Um, <laughs> and you know, yeah. the Reeves tale. Sure. I do assign the Miller's tale. I skip the Reeves tale, but okay. you know, there's things in there that are just wildly inappropriate. And then you think, well, Chaucer's, you might have the image of Chaucer or Shakespeare being these guys. And I, I'm not talking about Shakespeare right now, but they're the guys that would be at the Renaissance fair, you know? Yes. Drinking too much or- Correct. Smoking pot or something. Yes. <laughs> but then you get to the end- Sometimes they don't get that shine. They though. get that Nobody, in movies. Yeah. You know, right. they're, they're libertine types and- Yes. End of the sonnets, there's kind of religious poem for Shakespeare. But Chaucer at the end, he, he really, I think, is shows his piety there. Okay. He apologizes for anything that was inappropriate- <laughs> At Credit the very to him. end. Credit to yeah. him. Yeah. And he says, you know, ask God forgive me. If, okay. You know, and, and basically throw this away. You know, what only thing I really care about is my translation of Boethius and like his theological wow. works. And he kind of throws Canterbury Tales out, wow. out in the trash. And then he says, you know, basically pray for me. So he imagines himself being purgatory. Sure. But then this year I decided I'm going to, let's look at the Parsons tale. Let's, I'll actually assign some of this in class, a good portion of it. And so we started reading it and I started studying it a little bit and I always ignored it because I just heard it was boring and, yeah. and, and kind of a, a dud at the end of the Canterbury Tales. Just don't read that part. And it's, it's actually written in um, like, so Chaucer's basically establishing a, a poetic language in okay. English. Okay. He's doing vernacular. Yeah. That's unusual. And then he's doing it with prose in that one. He's giving us like, here's good English prose. It's, it's very vivid, lots of imagery, lots of support from scripture and other writers. Okay. It's not dull. Okay. Uh, um, and, and he's, he's basically saying, here's the way to heaven. And, um, here's how you properly repent of your sins. Uh, and, he, and this whole section on hell and the pains of hell, like don't go there. He's got the seven deadly sins, how to, how to hear, hear how to recognize sin in your life and then how to see the pro- how to put on the proper virtue. Okay. Um, so what he does is he, t- he just, he says this whole thing's about kind of pilgrimage on earth, but let's talk about the pilgrimage to heaven. And he begins with, I think the parson in the general prologue is kind of the hero. And then at the end, he's the hero. And so I was, I was really struck by that and how I'd, I'd misunderstood Chaucer's whole project there. I think wow. In the end, it's, it's, it's very Christian. And, you know, he's, he's like giving you the real pilgrimage is, is to go to God and to go to heaven. That's the sure. whole point. If you're missing that, you're not understanding his whole project. So as before, you'd kind of thought it kind of gets away from him. A little bit with the tales, certain tales, certain things. Yeah. And it's just, it's just kind of, in the end, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's good. You know, the language is great. And yeah. You can appreciate that, but there's the moral core of it is kind of nebulous, but it's, yep. it's actually not. That's awesome. So just like Dante. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's very medieval Catholic, but um, Dante, you know, kind of intersperses all of his doctrine. Sure. Chaucer just saves it for the end and gives you this long sermon <laughs> and, you know, I don't know. Lewis said somewhere like uh, morality is kind of boring to us, but that was really exciting sure. to people in the Middle Ages. And so I think morality, theology, I think Chaucer is probably really excited about that. Sure. And if you really want to get the spirit of Chaucer, you, you need to get excited about that. Totally. Totally. Well, so I, I found students, they were, they were surprised and they, they were actually enjoying it. They were it. into it? Yeah. Okay. So with that middle English class, that's, is that the scope of it? It's you're covering Chaucer. Uh, three terms of Chaucer, okay. starting with learning how to read Middle English. Okay. And then 
going all the way to, we end with that Parsons tale now that I've, yeah. I've added that. Yep. And then we do the fourth term is Sir, Sir Gawain in the Green Knight. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, Gawain, Gawain. You Gawain, know, yep. It's pronounced both ways, but Gawain in the Green Knight in, uh, it's more difficult Middle English. So this is okay. uh, like Western, Northwestern dialect. Chaucer's okay. down in, su- in the South in London. Okay. This is a, a Northern, right on the, like, I think it's called Cheshire, right next to Wales. Okay. So the dialect's different. The vocab's a little more difficult. Interesting. A little, a little more foreign to us. Yeah. And it's alliterative. Okay. So. That helps. So it's like old English style. Okay. But it's in middle English. Okay. So some, I guess in the 14th century, there's some kind of revival of, of alliterative poetry. And in, when in you English. say alliterative, are you just meaning in terms of, uh, like on the line, there's certain stresses? Yeah, four stresses, four, stresses four or five per line, yep. and then they, you know, same consonants. So they're rhyming the beginnings of the words rather than the yes. ends of the words. And then at the end of the stanza, they have some called a wheel and bob, where there's like one I am, and then there's four lines that it's A B A B A. Okay, so it actually rhymes in the more traditional. I guess that comes from French. Okay, and rhyming ends of words like we're used to. Right. So it goes iambic pentameter kind of at the end. So he's got all this alliteration. Then there's this end of the stanza is a bob and wheel thing. Um, wild. It's wild. Yeah, and it's. Some have said it's like one of the most finished and impressive poems in English. Wild. Most of the time, it's kind of, I think it's a bit obscure. I mean, we have movie versions and things, but most people don't read it or if they read it. I think one like recently. Tolkien translated, of course, made it popular. Right. So students might know that. But when you read it in Middle English, you find things in there that like Tolkien really liked that word. And students are saying like, that's in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You know. Did he, now, so if nobody knew, Tolkien saved Beowulf from sort of modern academic existence. Right. You know, he really brought that back. Did, did he do this, something similar with Sir Gawain? Yeah, he did. So awesome. the, the poet, sometimes called the Pearl Poet, because okay. there's no name. And Interesting. And one manuscript, I think, of Beowulf and of Sir Gawain. Interesting. Just exists in one, it's almost lost. So we have one manuscript. Unreal. Um, but yeah, he, he popularized a lot of Middle English stuff. Um, Unreal. I, I have a book of his where it's, it's, uh, it's just selections from Middle English poetry that- Okay. That he he edited and he put all the vocab in there. He explains yep. all the morphology of the words and everything. And yep. So it's fascinating to read. It is interesting. This can happen in our parts, not only if we're not careful, but it's just C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien are very popular people. But at least in our conversation, it has happened to come up because both of these people were obsessed and taught over Middle English and uh, medieval everything, really, but also literature. I, yeah, Even I, Milton. Right. right. I mean, exactly. Lewis wrote Preface to Paradise Lost. He heard Charles Williams lecturing on Milton and Milton was pretty much dead. Right. And they, they revived Milton. So totally. they, they had a huge influence. I don't think we even recognize. Totally. And what I always love to stress is like they had these, these weren't necessarily just niche hobbies of theirs. Right. They really, those works and pouring over those works produced in them a certain kind of flavor that could create something that we all enjoy that are, that are very surface level that don't seem to have much connection to, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm sure there are plenty, but the Narnian connection to middle English, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, but we can enjoy those works because they were obsessing over all this stuff. <laughs> Do you see that too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just mentioned with Paradise Lost, I mean, reading through Paradise Lost, students have the same thing that they do with when they're reading Sir Gawain, they're saying, wow, you know, I see that in Tolkien, I see that in Tolkien. Yeah. You read Paradise Lost and you see lots of things like that. You read Spencer, you're definitely going to see that. How Lewis Spencer, is so yep. influenced by, and just, I mean, like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't a hobby. It was, it was like life, you know, this yep. is what they did. This is, yep. that's, 
going back to your question about literature, I, I mean, I hope my students have that kind of experience. Right. And they see why this is important for, it's, it's not just something you do on the side. It's, it's, it changes who you are. Totally. It, it, it kind of re-enchants your imagination. I think, yes, that it doesn't, I think some people would think, oh man, going to New St. Andrews or, oh, hearing you talk, maybe I would just become some like, I would just be speaking in old English at Rosars or something, <laughs> right. you know, which is not at all right. what that means or what, right. not at all what that influence would do to Smoke you. Smoke a pipe and, and become <laughs> yeah. this strange Keep a pencil in your ear. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of thing. I don't imagine that's what you see in your classes or students that you see graduate. No, we're, we're pretty earthy people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're doing this while they're playing basketball or rugby or, yep. you know, going on with life. And, 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 and when I graduated, actually, I, was thinking about like what does NSA mean to me, and it was like I, I gave a, a little graduation speech. And okay, was, NSA is life. Yeah, you, you, yep. it's in a way it's artificial because you know you're, you're you're probably not you wouldn't be given that much time to your studies once you're out. But right. in another way, it's the it is life. I mean, you, we want you to take these habits and this way of life. Four years of creating you know habits for you that you're going to take into life. Totally, and that's t usually what we see. Totally. You know, it, it changes students. You learn how to work hard, learn how to, how to read difficult texts, Yep. live in a community together, Yep. serve Christ together. You, you're hopefully, if it's worked, your life has been expanded like you were talking about earlier. You don't live in a small world. That prison, you, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. The, you, you, the prison of politics and you know, pop culture. Of the moment. And, yeah, yeah, the prison of the moment, exactly. Yeah. You got to get out of that. Absolutely. And then having expanded your life, you can you're better fit to like attack today's problems or, you know, this relationship issue or this familial issue. Now that I've read Brothers Karamazov, I'm ready for any family Karamazov. problem. Karamazov. Oh yeah. I was correct, students. Karamazov or Karamazov. Those are, yeah, yeah. Karamazov. Karamazov. There you go. How would you, how do you say Grushenka? Grush? Grushenka? Uh, it's, it's, am I going to get in trouble with that? Grushenka, but I don't Grushenka. do that. Grushenka. It's too weird. I say Grushenka. Grusha. Ivan. Grusha. Ivan. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And as we kind of round out here, I won't take too much of your time, but I am interested to hear when you, it's a very, thinking about it as a very, it's a very literature exercise of you yeah. to put something like the Divine Comedy next to this Italian, you know, epic that, you know, Dante's trying to save Italy, as we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. Catholic and everything else. And then to put it with Dostoevsky trying to save Russia <laughs> from the West. Uh -huh. And everything he's doing. What are those two doing next to one another? I mean, I, you mentioned earlier, you see it as a comedy. You see it as mm -hmm. functioning in the mm -hmm. same genre. But Christian are, are there other things you see when you bring those into relief? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think they both have both wildly creative, obviously. My, like two of the most creative works of all time. Yeah. these The genius of these men just like hitting at their peaks there in those two works. Yeah. Um, Dostoevsky dictated that novel. Yes. To his wife. I mean, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah. That is what's There's nuts. There's so much energy. There's like not a, not a dull moment. No. And it, for, it for is. 700 pages. So dialogue driven. You know, it's, it's, there's like these heated exchanges. It feels like at all times. Oh yeah. It, it's, it seems like that's almost what the narrative runs on is just like dialogue, but like heavy dialogue. Yeah. I, and I think that work, if I could, I mean, students seem to be impacted by that work by almost, almost more than anything else. Definitely more than Dante, as great as Dante is, very yeah. difficult to get into. It's, it's, yeah. There's so many parts to it and, and a lot of foreign things. Dostoevsky's closer to us. He's yeah. more um, because he's writing a novel, it's, it's a little easier to get into. 
but also vaguely familiar with the things he's fighting, right? Or yeah. you know, we we see the same right. kind of enemies, right? That he had. But one of the things about that is, I mean, the the the, the ways they're going about their their poems, if we could call Dostoevsky a poet, and he's a maker, right? So he's, yeah. he's a poet. But they're both using highly, like I said, highly creative. Uh, they've come up with Dante, for instance, got Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso. Yep. You're on this journey. There's something interesting about the way Dostoevsky created his novel in that you have the the monastery, the world of Zosima yep. as the father. Yep. And then you got Fyodor. Yep. Uh, the the wicked father. Yep. You got these two fathers, and it's and it's like they're going on their way, and and the the world, of the monastery, is like say in Shakespeare where things are going bad, so people go out into the forest, yes, you know, for a time until they can come back and yep. retake the city and rejuvenate the city. Yeah, usually marriages at the end and at the comedy and at the end of the comedy, and and things are reset. And the fairies have done their work. Yeah, so exactly. That this doesn't go into a tragedy, and the world of corruption is, is yes. been put aside. Right. Dostoevsky's doing that, I think. Um, so the journey of that novel is the the world of the monastery sort of overtaking the the world of corruption. Okay. And students see that and they see how practical, I mean, Zosima's, you, you probably remember this from from class, but that, that kind of active love. For active motif, love. You got to, you know, there's- Oh man, the, I have it memorized. Do you? You got a uh, quote from it? Oh yeah. It's my pin tweet currently. The world of dreams versus the world of active love. Or? Yeah, it's it's a fearful, it's a harsh and fearful thing compared to love and dreams. Mm-hmm. That's maybe one of the quotes we look at the most. And um, pitting the the two worldviews, like Dostoevsky said, his novel is polyphonic. Yes, two, like the atheist. Yes, yes, right. Melody so, alongside the Christian melody, correct. And they're both equally powerful. So equally powerful yeah. that Dostoevsky. There's plenty of secondary literature about why Dostoevsky failed in his novel to accomplish his task, right? He never could answer the atheist question. He never, yeah, Yvonne wins. Yeah. yeah. For active love is a harsh and fearful thing compared with love and dreams that's, is, that's is his thing class. of like, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, Alyosha's decision to leave the monastery to sort of the worst family in existence and navigate all that's happening and win. You know, how do you not get dragged into either his one mm. brother's sins or another brother's sins or his father's sins. But how do you, how can you, you know, the, the image when he first meets the boys, we, we were talking about boys at the graveyard at the end. Yeah. They were all just throwing rocks at him. If, if I remember right. That's right. Yeah. And he wins the because exchange. He's a Karamazov. Yeah. yeah. And they just start pelting him with rocks. But Alyosha wins the scene by just having a kind of presence that by the end of it, they're all, sort of frustrated that he didn't react. I see that sort of being emblematic of Alyosha winning the whole time. He does the mm -hmm. same thing to his brothers. He does the same thing to his dad. He didn't save his dad from anything, anything <laughs> bad happening, but he was, that is he that tried. act of love, right. <laughs> but that is that act of love, I thought, you know, and he does the same thing with Grushenka. He comes into contact with her and coming into contact with her makes her, she's yeah. saved. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the same thing and happens. Yeah. And Dimitri and the boys. So maybe Yvonne, we see him picking up yes, the peasant and that's right. Being the good, good Samaritan. I mean, that doesn't really make sense in his, right. his world. Unless totally. he's, he's, re, he's kind of renounced it. Totally. Totally. And so that book is, is students realize this is really practical. I mean, those yes. is teaching in those sermons. Yep. So good. It's funny how Yvonne's tale. Yeah. The Grand Inquisitor. The Grand Inquisitor. Is it, have you ever noticed how like often it gets published as itself? Yeah. 
I always think it's so strange in bookstores it when I run have into with at least Zosima's, book six. Yes, Zosima's right. Life and teachings. But next I think to it. what you were saying about the polyphonic thing and that the atheist's melody gets as much promotion, if you will, or it gets its own on its own terms. He it, says, I'll, I'll do something better. I can give better arguments against God than you atheists ever dreamed of. <laughs> correct. Yeah. So it's- and trembled. It's, How am I going to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> and especially if when they're reading the novel and they're like, oh, so Alyosha just kisses yeah. him on the cheek. Right. That's it. That's you know? Answer. And so it's, it, it almost he tells says, me- the whole rest of the novel is my answer. Correct. Correct. But I can't answer Yvonne on his own terms. Logic, I can't. Right. But it's something deeper than that. Right. Um, but it almost seems emblematic of like, he did such a good job of doing that that people do think like, oh yeah, this is actually a tract that could conquer, you know, a Christian take mm -hmm. or something. The fact that it, I just have always yeah. thought it's so strange that exists on its own in bookstores. And, and, and critics like Joseph Frank or others right. will say, you give, even if you're not a Christian, I mean, look, look what Dostoevsky did. He took on his own most precious, cherished beliefs, yep. gave him the, the most, I guess, difficult, uh, how would you put it? Put them in their strongest Iron yeah. Man form. Polemic. Yeah, gave them polemical a, the form, best polemical form. To the point where he said, I don't even know if I can answer this. Right. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hide. Right. You know, and, and today we, we always sort of like give a straw man version of the other side. Right. And he stepped in and gave like the Iron Man version. Such that people are like, no, it, it did win. There are people that think oh, sure. he failed. Yeah, um, even some, yeah, you say some of the great readers. Yeah. Thought, you know, Yvonne's never really overcome. His argument is so powerful, it's never really answered. I haven't found students read it that way. I think sure. it's, but you are impacted by Yvonne's arguments and, and you're changed. You'll never forget them. Right. I mean, they're, they are, they're, they are glued into the inside of my brain. Of, and, and the good thing about that is like, is someone starts arguing with you and throwing stuff at you, like, that's nothing. I've yeah, read right, Dostoevsky. Right. <laughs> I mean, your arguments against God are weak. Totally. Compared to Dostoevsky's. So he's, he, in a way, he's, I mean, in a big way, he's trying to educate you and, and prepare you for, for life in the world. Totally. And, and, and to be able to look death in the face, even the death of a child, that's the, that's the big one, right? Yvonne's saying, why, yeah. why do children have to die? That's Stephen Fry today, right? right? He goes, right. you want to believe in God? We'll go down to the, go down to the hospital and to the children's ward and tell me you believe in God. I mean, that's Yvonne's. Right. That's what Yvonne's the, Yeah. So there's a particular evil that's human, like a tiger would never play with, I think is mm -hmm. what he says, mm -hmm. you know, he brings up and which from all, from what I've heard, like Dostoevsky would take newspaper articles right. and keep them. And so a lot of those had been the case of terrible torture or the yeah. death or treatment of a, of an infant or a child and kept all of them. And mm -hmm. that's what contributed to Ivan's take. And he says something like, you know, an animal would never be as evil as that. Like a tiger, <laughs> a tiger would never, yeah, right. They the would worst. never play with their yeah, victims. Yeah. I'm, I'm a monster. Men were all monsters. Insect sensuality. And then Yvonne, you know, we're all murderers. That's you know, right. They, they come to understand what they are. That's right. Um, and only then, like in Dante, only then if you go down first, can you come up? Right. Which then brings you back to, uh, was it the text in John? Only a seed. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So that, that kind of, I mean, right there, what we're talking about, I mean, you can see how that can transform you. And it, it maybe one final thing to say is that our program, when I was at UD, Dr. Cowan said, what we need is a lecture and then a discussion time. And they didn't, they didn't actually ever have that because maybe they're just too big. Sure. We're small enough to where we have our classes set up. Like, you know, this, you, you, you've been a part of this where you, you take a, you go to the lecture and then the, at the end of the week, you come to sit around the table, yep. divide the class up into maybe three groups, yep. small groups. And we talk about the readings and that's what you, the students, it's their turn to talk about. Yeah. 
and get into conversations about these things. And this book is a, these books are to, as we're saying, they're to read, if they're to renew the community, yep. you can't, reading them alone is, is not the ideal at all. Right. So reading right. them in a group like we do at NSA, uh, that's where, I mean, those recitations are just so much fun. So much fun. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you still do this, but back in the day, you were kind enough to open up your home to recitations. So a lot of them take place in homes. Yeah. Yeah. Teacher, you go to the teacher's house. It's very awesome. Um, and that hour and 20 minutes goes by like that. Very like, fast. There's so much to talk about and, yep. and just digging into like what passages mattered to you this week. Uh, yep. Why? What themes are we seeing here? And, and just every, everyone's sharpening each other. Everyone's learning from each other Yep. and getting excited. And, you know, so that's, that's one of the, we were actually doing that thing that Dr. Cowan was talking about. Right. That they hadn't yet found a way to, to accomplish. Yeah. We're small enough to do that where we have the, the large, not, it's not even a large lecture, right? It's usually 30 students in a right. lecture. And that's, right. that's really small compared right. to most colleges. And then break that into groups of 10 or 15. Totally. And sit around the table and, and discuss the works. Totally. So that's our, that's our normal week uh, with whatever class you're in. Yeah. Um, then at the end of the week, we have the disputatio where we all meet. The whole college gets together. And, and yeah. don't expect to hear Billy Collins at Disputatio. <laughs> he won't come. <laughs> well, I heard you shut down a Billy Collins poem at Disputatio. Oh, well, if he actually came. Well, I that would, would be I different. Would, would but no, I, I heard it was, uh, it well, was like a poem about his mom, I think. I Maybe a little inconsistent because I also read some Aaron Bell's poems oh, at Disputatio. So. Dang. It doesn't matter. He's hilarious. You, you, so. you make yeah, uh, Billy. The good thing about Billy Collins, again, is he's popularizing. That's right. If you, you read him, then maybe you'll go on to read some, some more serious poets. Totally. All right, Dr. Greaser, thanks so much. Thank you.